Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Hope you're doing well. It's another week. It's another episode. And today's guest is Matt Stocks. Matt Stocks is a podcaster and a radio DJ and a tour DJ and a live show host and interviewer and all-round showbiz superstar, I guess. Um, and I met Matt a little while ago. He introduced me to the, the lads from Dirty Sanchez and um, got them to guest on my other podcast, I Call This which I do with Chris. And it's funny I should mention that because I'm going to start plugging something now. Saturday the 20th of July 2019 at the O2 Academy Islington it's Attack of the Podcasts it's a triple feature Matt Stocks is on stage doing Life in the Stocks the podcast live with a very special guest to be announced very very soon then it's Chris and me on stage doing Hardcore Listim with two special guests then headlining is Thomas Turgus and Andy Ellis, as you may well know as Sean and Gadge from This Is England, doing their Overrated Everything podcast with a special guest. What more do you want on a Saturday afternoon in July? 3pm doors open. Tickets are available on ticketmaster.co.uk. Attack of the podcast, triple feature. Three of your fave podcasts in one afternoon. So it'd be lovely to see you all there. And we're going to be arranging some sort of shindig after party style thing. Anyway, back to today's episode. It was great to chat to Matt and find out about all the songs that have soundtracked his career and talk about some of the amazing people that he's interviewed, specifically one of those being uh, John Lydon. When he spoke to Johnny Rotten, it was one of my favourite ever podcast episodes, um, so much so that when I finished this in, I phoned him up just to tell him how much I thought he'd done an amazing job with what could have been a very tricky customer in John Lydon. And it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast where both him and John are on incredible form. Anyway, just a quick shout out to Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to the boss man over desk group, Pip, as well. Thanks to my name is Ad for doing the artwork. And thanks to Mr. 76 for producing this. Quite a long intro, that. So let's get on with the podcast. Please enjoy it off the beaten track podcast with Matt Stocks. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And 
what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South NLC, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. And we are recording. We are at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. Uh, thank you to those guys for letting me record here today. And it's a podcast that I've been waiting to do for quite a while we've, we've not got uh, around to doing it but my guest is in town today and uh, we, we've caught up because we've got lots of things coming up collectively um, and that guest is Mr oh it's a podcaster uh, a radio DJ a live show host I guess we can call you that um, Matt Stocks a raconteur if you will <laughs> <laughs> maverick <laughs> how you doing dude this is a nice setup it almost feels like we're in a strip club in the day and the workers aren't on shift yet yeah I mean obviously we're both uh, stripped to the waist <laughs> the <bottom laughs> from half. the waist down <laughs> I read a rumour that the old BBC news anchors used to do that fuck off I did because it, you know there's obviously the age old catchphrase imagine the audience in their yeah. underwear and I read that it was a way of them just feeling a bit more at ease in themselves so they'd obviously be tuxedo from the waist up but then from the waist down, they'd just be in their slacks. Probably a rumour, but why let the truth ruin a oh, good story? Slacks. Yeah, not, not naked. Not naked, no. They'd have underwear, but no trousers. And you know the old school, like, um, what are they called? The socks that used to be pulled with the, up. With the braces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'd just be there in that, and then imagine them finishing. they just stand up at the end <laughs> after <laughs> delivering some really heavy news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that figures. It's good to see you, buddy. It's, it's nice to see you, Matt. Um, We've not seen each other since, when did we last see each other? When you come and done the live show? I th- was that the last time we saw each other? Or it must have been. Was that post, when you turned, you came to um, my house with the Dirty Sanchez lads? The old whiff in. Yes, you well, did. Well, here's what I remembered on the way here is, this is the first time I've ever podcasted with you sober. 
Yes. And I'm very sober today. I'm 21 days sober, in fact, well done. as of this moment. But yeah, the, the live Q&A that we did, I had a rather large night the night before. If you remember, I told you I found out my ex-girlfriend That's right. that the day before the yeah. show had got a new boyfriend. That was the day I found out the news. It crushed me. So me and my friend went to the cinema to see the new Avengers film, That's get right. a bit of escapist entertainment. And then we went out, had a few cocktails afterwards. And then we picked up some girls and took them back to his house. And... Nothing happened with me and this one girl, but we just bonded and we connected and we stayed up drinking till the sun came up and she totally like rejuvenated my sense of self-worth and really gave me a boost at a key time. And then I you know, only got about two hours sleep, woke up, had to leave her on my friend's couch and then ran down here, did the Q&A, which was amazing, but obviously they're always quite boozy affairs. They so are, are. I basically got straight back on it. And uh, the first time we podcasted at the Whiff Inn, I'll never forget this. You're obviously a bit bigger than me. And I'd been drinking all day with the Sanchez boys around London whilst we've been doing press for our Q&A tour that we did last year. And then you podcasted with those two first. So I was just sat in the pub having a couple of drinks. And I went from tipsy to absolutely wrecked because when we started our podcast, you presented me with one of those Hague Club whiskeys, but you don't mess around with portions, do you? You gave me like a quadruple. That's right. And I just remember doing that and then literally remembering nothing. I was blackout drunk for that podcast that we did. We (laughs) we done the Hardcore Listing podcast on Monday and this this, this lovely fella called Rob come over from Dublin uh, and we done top five Irish whiskeys and their measures were like the measures I poured you. And oh, I, you were trying them as well whilst talking about yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had some serious anxiety the next morning, and I do not want to listen back to that one in a rush. It's horrible, isn't it? Well, I remember telling that story on yours about Mr. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. And then the next day, I was like, I should not have told that. Please, can you take that out? And you were like, well, we don't really edit. I was like, come on, please. And we you, did remove it, You kindly we? did remove it, yeah. yeah, and got me out of a hot now spot everyone there. wants to know what your story is about, <laughs> I Josh I can't Hartnett. tell it. I can't tell it. <laughs> well, um... Matt, thanks loads for coming and doing this. And uh, if you've not listened to this podcast before, um, the setup is the... Um, Who, me? No, no, the, the listener. Oh, I was going to say, um, I've definitely listened to it, Stu. And, uh, and so what we do is I will ask Josh to submit several songs. And those songs will be available on an accompanying Spotify playlist. And what these songs will do, we'll put together like a sort of time scale of Matt's life and we'll discuss his creative journey so far and the areas that has happened in and how that may have influenced said journey. So to start with, as always, I asked Matt to tell me what the song is with the greatest intro. I love this as a first question as well. It's a nice icebreaker. See what I've done. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I wasn't quite sure whether this would count or not, so I put it in and hope that it will be okay with you. It'll get greenlit. But it's not a musical intro. The reason I love the intro to this song is because, well, two reasons. First of all, the band that I've chosen, New York Dolls, for me, are such a key band to the history of punk. We've just got a gentleman here coming in with a little booze delivery. Should we pause or press on? No, we're good, we're good. We'll press on. So, yeah, the New York Dolls, for me, are one of those key forefathers of punk rock and they were around in new york in the early 70s for me they were the first punk band and some people might say the velvet underground but for me they're a lot more of an art rock band obviously everybody who listened to that band was inspired to pick up an instrument and start their own but the new york dolls for me were the band that really kick-started that whole max's kansas city cbgb's scene which gave us 
well, what went on to become the biggest pop bands of the 80s, bands like Talking Heads, Blondie, Blondie. Uh, you had the more television, Richard Cramps, uh, Dead Boys, B-52s, like Ramones, obviously the list goes on and on and on, but the New York Dolls were the first of that ilk. 1972, they put out their debut self-titled album, and there's a song on there called Looking for a Kiss, and at the start of it, they say, when I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. And then it goes into the tune. Do you know where that comes from? Uh, the Shangri-Las, yeah. isn't it? Give him a great big kiss. Oh, what and song? the reason I love it is because they are a band that wear their influences right there on their sleeve. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously completely in love with girl group music, like the Ronettes and the Crystals, yeah. all that great stuff. And I love that stuff. So to hear them reappropriate that line and put it in their tune uh, is just, for me, intro gold. But does it count? Because it's not necessarily a musical builder. No, it's fine. It's fine because uh, John Kennedy come on here and he chose uh, MC5. Uh, obviously, the audio intro there. So, uh, yep, yeah, you're fine, mate. It's uh, it's a welcome addition to the intros. Um, yeah, intros book. Um, can I give one honourable mention as well? Can. I'm wearing a T-shirt today, Little Richard just by chance and my second choice was going to be not that you can have two but if I could it would be tutti frutti what's better than a what bombadoo bop and a what bamboo to kickstart a tune I mean That's still today that tune shirt. sounds as anarchic yeah. and devilish and crazed as it yeah. did then for me like it's punk rock that is that's a great shirt mate. isn't it that's a great shirt and what does it mean nobody knows but who cares it doesn't matter does it <laughs> it's a call of arms um so going back to something you said about um, they were the first punk band, I'm not disagreeing with you. Well, yeah, that's why I wanted to raise that Did you topic. see the recent interview with a former guest of, we should say, obviously, you've got your podcast. Yeah, plug away. And, um, <laughs> and one of your guests, which I phoned you after I listened to it and said how much I enjoyed it, was uh, John Lydon. Have you seen the recent um, thing that sort of went a bit viral I only saw it last week where it's him it's Johnny and um, you're talking about the Q&A in LA with Rollins and Henry Rollins Duff McKagan uh, John Votos, the fashion guy who's produced this documentary series with Iggy Pop which yeah. is why they were there doing the Q&A and Marky Ramone and yeah. yeah Danita Sparks from L7 yeah I've seen it and I love it fuck me <laughs> and I mean it's, it's really weird it's, it's if you're gonna have I mean, you've obviously spent time with, with Johnny Rotten, which is amazing. And Marky. I've interviewed him as oh, well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you got a, an amazing John Lydon on your podcast. Thank he you. He was dude. so good. And, and you, you, you know, you, you handled that so well. Because it's an intimidating fella to sit opposite, right? It was the most intimidated I've ever been in an interview scenario. And... I went in praying that he wasn't going to be an arsehole because yeah. I've seen him destroy journalists and yeah. he's famous for that. Yeah. Uh, and I thought he might be this kind of spiky, yeah. horrible man that is often written about in the press. But yeah. in fact, as you just kindly said, I managed to humanize him and he showed his more sensitive, reflective, kind, generous side. Yeah. Um, and he proved himself to be quite the sweetheart to yeah. me. But yeah, watching that footage, fucking hell, it's, it's the unpleasant. drink, man. It's the drink. Yeah. It brings out the beast in him as it does in many of us. And I loved it. There was a lot of people online afterwards saying, what a dickhead and all of this. But for me, the idea of a Ramon and a Sex Pistol going loggerheads with, as you mentioned, Henry Rollins and Duff McKagan sidelined, just looking completely bemused. Like none how of them step they, up. How often are they sidelined? <laughs> I know, right? You've and they just lost something. for words. Yeah. The I'm, one who was the best was Denise. Need a spark. She kind of cut through it, and she was like, "Look at this! This is chaos. Yeah. This is punk rock. This is yeah. fucking great." And she was loving it, and you could see the crowd were obviously all loving it. Yeah. And he's got a point. 
I think that uh, they were very different interpretations of punk, those two bands, and they're both equally valid. Yeah. I'm as much in love with the Pistols, the Damned, Buzzcocks, Stranglers, even early Jam, mm -hmm. the Adverts, 999. I adore all of that stuff as much as the aforementioned yeah. CBGB's New York stuff. So for me, they're on equal par, yeah. but they are very different. Yeah. And one is a lot more, I think, working class, completely. being the British side. Completely. The, the New York side, a lot more art school. Art school Pretentious. Yeah. I love it, but it is yeah. definitely more thought out, isn't yeah. it? Um, but you ain't got to be one or the other. That's the thing, have you? No, you know, hell no. Well, it's it. like the, the whole, oh. you know, you relate to this, the whole uh, Britpop yeah. battle of Blur versus Oasis. Absolutely. Why not be in love with both and then throw Pulp in there as well? Yeah. They were all shit up. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so, yeah, the first punk band, I guess, was the, the question you were maybe asking. Arguably the Ramones. They were probably the true definition yeah. of that term. But for me... Three or four years before, it was the New York Dolls that yeah. kind of kick-started that whole Absolutely. scene. Absolutely. And there was a nice nod in that. I mean, we're talking about a lot. Listeners, you should go and, and go on YouTube and, and, and check this this rare and and <laughs> madness that, that ensued in, on that YouTube uh, clip that's out there. You should go and watch it. And, and it's quite nice that lots of people did put a nod to the angry guitars of Ray and Dave Davis and the Kings. Hell, well, yeah, that's the other thing is there's yeah. a couple of, there's a band also called uh, the Kingsman who did Louis Louie, Louie, Louie yeah. 1956. You could say that's the first punk yeah. tune. It's, it's all the 56, man. And for, for the time, yeah. there's another song as well, the Trashman, Surfenberg, yeah. 62. Yeah. That was, that's pre-Beatles. Yeah. And imagine being in like a diner or a dance hall yeah. in 1962 and that comes on the jukebox. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be as crazy and deranged as Marilyn Manson would yeah. come to be for a whole generation and, of and people that's, 30 that's years one later. Of the I've had this conversation so many times that, you know, you can imagine the. It, it seems farcical and hilarious to, you know, when you look at Bill Grundy now and that show with the pistols and you just think, it's just some lads fannying around. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Good the, old fashioned rock and roll. But at that time, it was ridiculous, you know. Um, and the same when, you know, obviously when Elvis come out and, you know, the, the, some of the things that, that Lennon said and, and so on and so on. And, and then moving forward to, you know, things like Marilyn Manson and... And, and now with grime. And, and, it might not and be so guitar this music. Is it, this is it. This is the only place I can kind of draw that punk mindset and ethic and that DIY and that anger and frustration in grime. And, and I can't see where else something could ever have that much impact now with guitars has it been done to death can, i think it's been done it dude go? yeah i think culturally white dudes unless they're maybe hip-hop guys yeah. they just don't have that same danger yeah you know there's i mean to me there's nothing dangerous about rock and roll yeah. anymore guns and roses we were talking about just before we uh -huh. started this how fucking dangerous were they when they yeah. came out now yeah do you know what I mean? Now rock has very much gone back to this classic rock revival. Yeah. And I love them, but there's bands like, say, The Struts. Yeah. Um, if, do you know them? Yeah, I know, I know them. If yeah, you like Queen, brilliant bands, but there's nothing dangerous about that because yeah. it's all very retro and it's referencing things that have already happened and been yeah. and gone. I'm not into grime, but I can definitely appreciate the excitement that that yeah. music provides for young listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't get it, we shouldn't get it because we're too old to get it. Right? Exactly, right? <laughs>
you know, there comes a time when that generational divide, and that was the great thing about New York Dolls, actually, to throw back to them quickly one more time, is they did a famous appearance on the old Grey Whistle test. Yeah. And at the end of their appearance, whis- uh, I was about to say whistling, whispering Bob Harris refers to them as a mock rock band because he's just like, well, these guys are just a crap yeah. stones, yeah. the Rolling Stones in drag. But what he failed to see was actually these, you know, this band were creating a whole new genre that was on the cusp of breaking, and every kid that was watching that at home yeah. was completely in awe of them. Like, yeah. this, is some, this isn't the ego. This is something far more dangerous, yeah. and he failed to see that because he was too old. Oh, I'd like to know what his thoughts are on that now. I'm sure he's been asked a thousand times. Yeah. I'm sure that follows him everywhere, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's a really nice guy, though. Really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I met him before in the sort of gig world, yeah. and he seems like a very sweet guy who's just still to this day a true music fan. Absolutely. It's just that he uh, wasn't Absolutely. quite on the front line of the whole punk thing. Track two, Matthew. Yes. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. So this one for me was, a, this was probably the hardest one to answer, mainly because my memory ain't quite what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was trying to put my mind back to being a young child because I got into music very young and going down that rabbit hole, I became aware that I think the first music for me which hit me was 60s pop. So everything from Sandy Shaw, always something there to remind me, to Georgie Fame, as my baby loves me, yep. she gets me, all that stuff, because my parents just had it on all the yep. time. And still to this day, that's some of my favorite music. And I think the one song, this song that I've picked is actually my all-time favorite song to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think my introduction to it was the film, Stand By Me, a huge film. And obviously in the 80s, there was a lot of 50s revival going on with Back to the Future, Peggy Sue Got Married. There was a lot of these teen films that were set in the 50s and so featured music of that period. I think this song is 61 or 2 or even 60. Um, La Bamba. So good. Richie Valens, right? (laughs) And for me, it's the middle eight in this song, that string section, just crushing. But the poetry and the lyrics as well, when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. Benny King, Stand By Me. It's a beautiful, beautiful record. And I had... That and When a Man Loves a Woman um, on 7-inch, oh, uh, Percy Slash Tune. Um, That's a good one. It's, it's a beautiful song. And, and they were some of the records, because my parents didn't have loads of records, but what they did have, I would rinse and rinse and rinse. And it was them two that, that really struck me. And it's so interesting you mentioned that film and you mentioned that string, because throughout that film, at any kind of poignant bit when, um, is it Dreyfus doing the voiceover? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when that string section is used in that film, it's so fucking highly emotive, isn't it? Completely, completely. It's it's, it's beautiful, and that and that film, it's a masterpiece. That film, isn't it? It's so good, and you know, sometimes tragedy adds an extra weight to the poignancy yeah. and obviously with River Phoenix dying yeah. at such a young age it gives yeah. that film especially as the character that he plays yeah. in the film is such a tragic hero yeah. as well it really gives it that extra weight and they re-released the song didn't they with right. Benny King and they had Vince the four lads with him in the video and I just for me that has to be not only the first song that instilled emotion in me but still to this day the song that instills more than any other it's such a beautiful piece so of work so it was 87 that film yeah right and, so and i was it, only born in 86 right yeah and it's, and and interestingly that they do top of the pops reruns which i talk about endlessly on this bloody podcast um <laughs> at the moment on a friday night they, they play old episodes of top of the pops and they're currently showing 1987 and last week's that was number one how was it and and i'll see that video again where they cut in scenes from the film oh yeah that's right they do they cut yeah. yeah and then at the end river phoenix and i don't know the actor's name that um plays the main character 
and uh, and he's there with Benny King and I think River Phoenix is miming a guitar. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's the only actor that you don't remember the name of. Isn't that yeah, funny? Yeah. Because it's the fat kid is now obviously Jerry O'Connell, yes, who's like a buff, yeah. handsome I know, heartthrob. I know. Quite the turnaround. And obviously, and then Corey, Feldman, yeah. He's, he's uh, the guy everybody wanted to be, isn't he? Oh, You're sporting the Corey glasses today. I am, I am. I just wish I could kind of just submerge myself in uh, in a leech-ridden ditch. But um, yeah, he was him and 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 Hayne were the were the two coolest guys in the eighties. Absolutely. Have you seen? I presume you've seen the Burbs, right? Yes, of course. Such a great movie. Of course. Sardine. The the guy who (laughs) you're you're going to record another podcast after this, and I suggest that when you see him, you talk about that film because I know that's his favourite film. The Burbs. Yeah. Right on. And ask him um, what it was like when Tom Hanks turned up at his wedding. No. (laughs) All right. Well, we've got the icebreaker right there. (laughs) There you go. Phenomenal. So you mentioned earlier there was music on at home growing up. Yes. So a, a good cross-section of stuff or just predominantly 60s pop? Yeah, pretty much just 60s music. My dad was into The Doors and Jimi Hendrix, and that was definitely my introduction to rock. And then I saw Wayne's World and Garth does the whole Foxy routine. Currently wearing a Wayne's World cap. I am, speak. actually. Oh, yeah, that was a complete <laughs> fluke. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, and so that cemented for me the you know, lifelong love affair with rock and roll was the combination of my dad's Jimmy and Dawes records and then seeing Wayne's World and all of those elements coming together. But my mum was a lot more on the pop side. And I still love 60s pop, man, especially all the Motown stuff, the girl group stuff, Phil Spector and all of that roster of acts that we were talking about earlier. All of that music for me without sounding like an old guy before my time, is so timeless, so perfect, and they just don't write them like that anymore. They did up until the 90s, I think, and then pop music for me became a bit more disposable and throwaway, and God, 60s pop, I mean, I could just, if I had to do like a, a farm of acts that are all within one time period or genre and go on a desert island with that, it would be 60s pop for me, yeah. or maybe sort of 56 to 63, yeah. just before the Beatles and the Stones. Yeah. Age of Innocence music, isn't it? Um, if you ever get a chance to see, uh, it's, it's on YouTube and it's a live performance of Be My Baby by the Ronettes. And, and, and Ronnie is singing live. And it's the most incredible thing you'll ever see. It's the sweetest thing you'll ever hear. And Ronnie was just the most beautiful woman at that point on the planet. And it's it just encapsulates that moment in music for me. That I, Personally, I think that's the greatest record ever made. It's like, it's in my top five and, for uh, sure. And and yeah, if you get a chance to just just watch that on YouTube, it's it's up, literally the hairs on the arms are going up now. I, I thought that was just because uh, it was cold uh, in here. I'm getting the same. And, and thank God for Martin Scorsese because much like Tarantino did with surf music, yep. Link Ray, he very much I think introduced the Crystals, Then He Kissed Me, Absolutely. and the Renettes Be My Baby to a whole new yeah. generation of people Completely. by using those songs in his films. And those two for me, probably my top ten, both of yeah. them. Amazing records, amazing records. Track three, Matthew. The song that reminds you of school. Uh, This one was the easiest because this is the band that defined my teenage years more so than any other. And they were my gateway band into punk rock, which is probably my favorite genre to this day. Uh, I mentioned my love of 60s music a moment ago, but if I had to go specifically about a genre that's impacted my life on every level, not just my taste in music, but my politics, 
my sense of humor, my attitude and my belief system to the world and how we engage with each other as people. And also my professional career has very much been defined by a DIY ethos, which I know you're completely on the same page with yeah. as well, with all this podcast stuff that we do and the promoting and that kind of idea of just getting out there and hustling for yourself. Mm -hmm. All of those qualities, and I, I'd like to think they're positive, um, come from this band and the subsequent long list of bands that I discovered through them and at school around the 90s. So I started secondary school in 97. So I was too young for grunge. I just missed that 94 explosion of Green Day and Offspring and Rancid. And Blur and Oasis. And Blur and Oasis. But the remnants, well, not even the remnants, the, the wave was still very much crashing down around me. And I loved Green Day and I loved the Offspring. But I kept seeing these four letters scribbled on walls all around the playground and in the park, N-O-F-X. And I was like, Norfolk's? What the hell is Norfolk's? And then I went into a HMV in Solihull, which actually just closed down last week, which is a very sad day because that was where I got all my records, all my DVDs. Spent many, many pounds in there. R.I.P. Uh, HMV. And I was like asking the guy behind the counter, have you got any Norfolk's? And he's like, I think you mean no effects, mate. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That yeah. makes a lot more sense. So I picked up their live album just because I like the cover. It's called I Heard They Suck Live. And I put that on when I got home. And it was one of those moments that I remember as clearly as yesterday to this day. Boom, the light bulb just went on. And it wasn't even so much the songs, which were great and filled with such anarchic playfulness. And much like South Park, they very much went after the left as well as the right and exposed the hypocrisy on both sides of the fence. They weren't just attacking Republicans and Nazis and conservatives and people like this. They were also attacking hippies and liberals and you know people who were holier than now. And we're very much still in that age now, if not more so than ever, with political correctness and all of this. And they just introduced me to politics and sent, you know, a great sense of humor. And the bits in between the songs, like the in-between song Prattle and Banter, was just some of the funniest stuff I'd ever heard. I couldn't believe they were encouraging the crowd to spit on them. They were laughing at how shit they were, at how drunk they were. And I was like, this isn't very professional. In my young mind, I was like, what? And that, it was really my introduction to punk. And the song that I've picked is a song, basically, which reappropriates fascism in a Judaist context, the band are Jews, well, the singer and chief songwriter, Fat Mike, is a Jew, and he takes the idea of hardcore and oi punk and how it, I guess, became infiltrated and bastardized in many ways by the far right, mm -hmm. and he reappropriates it for Hebrew culture. Mm. Um, and it's just one of the funniest songs, but also smartest songs politically. And it's called The Bruise, and there's a couple of lines in it, which I can't remember off the top of my head, so I've written down uh, the chorus goes like this. Because, hey, we're the bruise, sporting anti-swastika tattoos. Oi, oi, we're the bruise, the Fairfax ghetto boys, skinhead Hebrews. Nice. And there's another line later on. Shots be driven. We battle, then we feast. We celebrate, we separate our milk plates from our meat. Nice. It's just fucking brilliant. So smart and so unlike anything I'd heard at that time. And a fun story is the day I got my GCSE results. I was going to Leeds Festival that day. So I go into school, I'm 16 years old, school's out, as Alice Cooper once famously sung. I pick up my results, I do very well, I'm elated. I get on a coach, I go up to Leeds, it's my first ever festival, I'm 16 years old. All my favorite bands are playing, Weezer, No Effects, and on the first day, No Effects are on. I'm right in the middle, in the thick of the crowd, waiting for them to come on. 
probably the most excited still to this day I've ever been in my life. I hadn't seen them live at this point, and I'm fucking so amped. And I start singing the bruise, just a cappella, obviously. And then the whole crowd around me starts joining in. Friday night, we'll be drinking Manny Shevitt basically lead this big chorus they then come out because they are the kind of band that just make up their set list on yeah. the spot and they open with that song and i know that i personally made that happen and so it's one of those absolutely defining moments in my young adult life so it had to be this song for me it wasn't even any doubt fantastic. no effects the bruise baby how was school school for me was brilliant i absolutely loved it at home uh, it? things not so good but school was fantastic so dorridge is a village i grew up in which is just outside solihull just outside birmingham a school called arden which is a state school so it's not a private school but it was you know in the top of tiers of state school so it's very good um i worked hard within the lessons but then as soon as lunchtime hit it was you know smoking cigarettes chasing girls the weekend yep. was very much about down the park with cider and beer and yep. house parties gigs i had the best time ever at school i was never somebody who was alienated or unpopular i was always a very popular kid because i just kind of got on with everyone had a large group of friends i was probably the first person in my group of friends to lose my virginity which made me a bit of a hero yeah. and uh, i had the best time ever at school i worked hard i played hard nothing but happy memories but home not so good. Home not so good, no. And that, I think that's why I loved school and my friends so much is that for me was my escape. Like my parents broke up uh, when I was 13 and it was for the best because I witnessed some pretty horrendous stuff. Uh, some, you know, some fights that got pretty out of hand. And my mum uh, is bipolar. And so growing up, I would have to be there with my dad visiting her in psychiatric wards from a very young age and she'd probably have three to four so this is getting really heavy really fast but she would have breakdowns three to four times a year where she'd then have to go into psychiatric wards for two to three weeks at a time to get medded up and get well um so that was my life from the age of seven upwards so it was chaos and very disturbing and unsettling at times but it instilled in me a strength uh and thankfully touch wood my mum's been well for nine to ten years now which is fantastic. And her and my dad, although they're still divorced, they've made up and actually they spend all their time together. They never remarried. They actually never got other partners because after they did split up and I wasn't yet an adult, my dad would still have to be around when my mum would go into hospital yeah. to take care of me and my sister. So they remain friends. They actually got on better sure. when they divorced, right? And now they're probably the happiest divorced couple yeah. in the history of the world. And whenever I'm away, because I've been staying with my mum for the last couple of years, uh, whenever I'm on tour or down in London, my dad goes and stays over to keep a company. And it's a very nice setup now. But yeah, there was a while there from sort of, I guess, seven or eight up until 18 when I left home, where it was very turbulent, to say the least. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear this selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Songs. Just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side so would you find that kind of desire to to be out down the park and and to be at all the time doing different things with, with, you know, an element of escapism to get out of the house and to, to, to experience more joy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. As soon as I was allowed out of the house, you know, down on Friday night, Saturday night pub, yeah. uh, not pub, park sessions, then that's where I'd be every week and I wouldn't really want to go home. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was almost like that kind of standby me thing. I mean, yeah. home was... Home was a very unsettling place for me to be. So anywhere but home was where I wanted to be. And yeah. But having said that, I was very happy as a child. Yeah. And I loved school and I had great friends and I had a lot of fun. Uh, but it definitely, it definitely left its mark in ways that I still have to try and wrap my head around, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's to be expected, right? That's quite, a, quite an unorthodox thing to see as a young child, isn't it? You know, it's quite... It's quite it heavy. is, but I think because it's all I knew. I mean, I'll just tell you real, real quick why my mum was was unwell. Is because when I was four, um, I had a sister Julia who was born, but she was born very sick, and she died when she was about three or four weeks old. So she wasn't a miscarriage. She wasn't stillborn. She was born alive, but very sick. And after a few weeks of you know the doctors trying everything they could, she just passed away. And so I'm not really old enough to remember this, but. My dad since told me about it, and you know, you can only imagine how heavy it must have been for those two to have buried a baby. That's Do you know what I mean? A tiny little coffin, putting that in the ground, is something no parent should ever, ever see. And that was the beginning of the end of their bond. Yeah, they grieved in very different ways. They didn't know how to grieve, and you know, I would never ever blame them for that because no how for them, how could they? anybody yeah. process and deal with that? So that's really what triggered in my mum, this, this manic depression that has, you know, really kind of scarred her adult life. And it runs in my family. My aunt, my great auntie had it her whole life. My great grandmother had it her whole life. She actually hung herself 
on my granddad's farm and he found her when he was five years old. He oh. walked in and saw her there. So it's always been there. And I think with my mum is she was always very fragile and sensitive and she, all my sensitivity comes from my mum and, you know, my creative side and my kind side, if I have one, all comes from her. But unfortunately she wasn't strong enough to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but I've always said the one good thing about growing up with such chaos around you is it does harden you yeah. and strengthen you up for, for what's out there sure. in the, in the adult world, because you know, and, it, I, and we were talking a moment ago actually about, you know, kids nowadays who struggle with anxiety. Mm. For me, childhood should be nothing but joy. Even the bad stuff, it's innocence. You know what I mean? It's only when you actually hit 18 and you've got to go out there in the world yeah. that for me, the real shit starts happening. Absolutely. Not to, you know, demean anyone who's under 18 listening to this, but it really does step up a notch, doesn't yeah. it? When you have to go out there in the world and assume responsibility and take on all the stuff that life's going to throw at you because you can't necessarily just throw back on your parents. Uh, so I think growing up with all that gnarliness, for lack of a better word, it set me up. Sorry, we just went super dark. That's though. fine. That's fine. Talking about um, no effects one minute and then no, that's, that's the suicides and baby right? death We can the talk next. about anything. Um, you mentioned that you got your creativity from your mum. Mm. So was... Was that creativity encouraged at school? Was, was, was you academic or was you creative at school? I was certainly into cartoons. And actually the one, well, <laughs> the two lectures or lessons that I did the worst in were art and music. Ironically, the two areas which probably take up most of my time and yeah. energy and focus and inspire my drive now. And the reasons I was shut down in both of those lessons, art because I was into cartoons and that wasn't deemed worthy. And that was straight up the case. So my art teacher, I would, you know, Picasso would be the subject this month and I would just take Picasso paintings but do cartoon twists on them. And she'd be like, no, you're bastardizing Picasso. D, that's shit. You know, obviously not quite in that way, but uh, that's basically the message that I got. So I had that beaten out of me in art. And then in music, the same thing. I was like, I want to do no effects and, you know, Weezer and stuff like this. And my teacher would be like, no, we need to be doing the Beatles and Beethoven. And the classic story. So I sacked both of those subjects off very early on and just concentrated on maths, English, drama was a big one for me. I've always loved performing. One of my first heroes would have been Michael Banks from Mary Poppins, the young kid. And I always used to walk along the curb like he does with one foot on the curb and one foot on the street and dress with that little schoolboy cap. Just William was another big one, the yeah. school, the school, uh, not the schoolboy books. And so I think, I think more so than anything, acting, drama and performance. I always just wanted to be on stage, no matter what it was. Show but off, right? Basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. completely. <laughs> a, a, a com no shame. I was even like down the park, you know, I'd be the guy that would be performing for everybody. Like I've always tried to be a clown and a performer and an entertainer in one way, shape or form. And I was, I think, born to express myself in that way. Yeah. And I love impersonating people and doing accents. And I've done a few stand-up gigs over the last 12 months. It's still very early days yep. for all that. But yeah, man, I, and we'll get to this later on, I'm sure. But I just love being on stage. Even doing this, what we're doing yeah. now, in front of an audience brings such a different dynamic Completely. to the whole situation. And you guys are great at it as well. And, and DJing, you know, even when I go out on tours DJing, I wear costumes and make it a bit of yeah. theater as opposed to just being the guy in a t-shirt and jeans on yeah. stage. Like I'll get dressed up as Tony Clifton. Yep. I recently did Wayne, which is where the yep. cap comes from. I did the full wig and t-shirt and everything for a Steel Panther tour that I was just on. And yeah, for me, performance and expression 
is, uh, I think, inherently in there. And I think that does come from the mania side yeah. of my mum. Uh, so I've sort of learned to embrace it because I have certain issues that I struggle with as well. And I'm definitely a bit of a manic depressive. I have extreme highs and extreme mm -hmm. lows. There's never really much middle ground with me. Yeah. But I've learned to accept that about myself and look at it as a quality that is positive rather than negative. And I've tried to ride it out and use it to good effect as best I can. Rightly so. <laughs> yeah? This is good, mate. I feel good for this. I think <laughs> I've just had, I should stipulate as well, I've had a double shot coffee. <laughs> and because I'm not on the booze at the moment, I've had to replace one vice with another. Yeah. And coffee's my new thing. And I haven't drunk coffee, dude, for about four years oh, because it makes me pretty amped up. So I'm if I'm rabbiting on a bit, coffee, mate. No, that's no. why. Track four. Yes. First record you bought. Here we go. So this might be the, the problematic choice in my list in light of recent events. Uh, I was eight years old. I had my pocket money from, I guess, a year. You know, I'd only get 50p a week or a month or whatever it was. It wasn't big bucks, but I saved up and up and up and up. And like everybody who was a child of the 80s, I think, the biggest hero on earth was Michael Jackson. Completely. He was the greatest entertainer, showman, dancer, singer. He was the whole package. He was the last. Him, Madonna, Prince in the 80s were probably, and I guess you could say Gaga and people like that still carry that torch today, but they were really larger than life yeah. icons, yeah. pop superstars. And Michael Jackson for me was the one. Madonna obviously I think was more of a female preoccupation when you're a kid. I don't know many young boys that were massively into Madonna. I was. Were you? Yeah. Really? Absolutely love her. You're a bit older than me, though. Yeah. So you would have got her more, because I was more the sort of ray of light era. Oh, God, no. And I was no. like, what the hell's this? And Michael Jackson was just, first of all, first, I think first and foremost was the performance element, the yeah. music videos. I was like, wow, this guy yeah. can do everything. Also, he's hanging out with a monkey and Macaulay Culkin, and Home Alone was my favorite film as a what kid. What more do you want? So I was like, well, this guy gets to hang out with apes and Macaulay Culkin, he's yeah. got it made. Yeah. And so I bought Thriller. I didn't actually buy a single first, I bought Thriller as the album, but I put down uh, Billie Jean as the track because that was the song that switched me on to him. And I bought it from Woolworths, nice. another store that's obviously it, long I, since I, passed. I reckon 80% of people that have answered that question, I generally ask, where did you get it? And that's the Woolworths, most mate. common answer, yeah. is it? Then Woolworths. It generally curves off into a, a conversation about the, uh, the island of Pickamix in the oh, Woolworths. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you'd always go past, wouldn't you, and just stick your hand in, have a little taste before you buy, try before you buy. So yeah, Thriller was the album, uh, Billy Jean the song, and for years and years and years, I loved Michael Jackson. And I mean, we should talk about it now because the new, I presume you've seen the new documentary, Leaving Neverland. Yes, I have. Um, it's a really weird one. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... I don't like that hot kind of mindset of there's no smoke without fire. I'm, I'm not... There, there's some dark stuff in there. Undoubtedly. There's some really dark stuff there. Um, he's dead. Yeah. Well, this seems to be the way, um, doesn't it? Jimmy Savile, dead. And, and it's often, why can't we have... I mean, I know the Michael Jackson case was raised whilst he was around. Yeah. Very I, much so. It's really strange because before that documentary came out, we recorded a hardcore listening podcast, top five Michael Jackson records. Top five and, pedos. And we, yeah, <laughs> and we all sat so there making like, literally talking about just how incredible a, an artist Michael Jackson was. Which you can still say without doubt that he yeah. was. Yeah. Um, but we can't put that out. We can't be sitting there putting out a podcast where we're all saying how amazing Michael Jackson is in the light of what's, you know, what's come to, to light. Yeah. Um, it's that whole thing of can you separate the person 
from the creative output. Um, I certainly can, and I'll really always weird. appreciate his music, but I don't think I'll ever play them out in public no, again when I'm no, DJing. I, I won't. And, and I don't think they should be removed from shelves, because for me, here's an interesting side debate. Lolita, right? One of the great novels of the 20th century. The language in it is some of the most beautifully written prose ever to be committed to text, but essentially it's a book about paedophilia. Yep. And the lead character is a guy that grooms a young girl and has sexual relations with a, a minor. Yep. Do we then remove Lolita from libraries and say that it can't be sold? Where do we draw the line it's, with it's this? that whole thing as well with like, you know... And obviously that's fiction, so and there was There was the thing where um, I think BBC4, uh, sorry, Radio 4 was going to um, play the uh, a few years ago, the Enoch Powell Rivers of Blood speech, and and they were saying like there was a, there was a phone. I was listening to it driving through Scotland, and it was like some people were saying you know it's obviously it's fucking ridiculously racist, but they're saying we can't erase this stuff because then we forget. Go away, it's, you know it's yeah. it's happened, like so it's not happening now, but it has happened. So you know how do you? Yeah, you know, there's episodes of Only Fools and Horses that can't get played because of some of the terminology they use in it. Well, the word now, which is a buzzword, isn't it? It's problematic, it, it, exactly. isn't it? Exactly, and it's like... And every, you know, we were talking earlier about how exciting 60s bands would have been at that time. Yeah. Everything, a wise man once said to me that every piece of art, and indeed, you know, that applies to non-fiction as well as fiction but everything should be understood within the time frame in which it was created and made so, and said and done that's the argument that's, because you can't the then argument. look back with 2019 eyes yeah. on something that was a, you know a program that went out in the 70s sure. because of course there are going to be different values yeah. then but we can't just eradicate them and push them aside because yeah. they pose a problem mm. to the way we now view the world it, was, it, it just, shows if anything that we've come on and completely. we've progressed you know that, that that's that that's the thing i don't think anyone was was ringing up saying, oh, yeah, you need to play that Rivers of Blood speech. It's the great... No one ever yeah, was Yeah, yeah, I'm was right on pro. board with that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, look, you know, if anything, let's, you know, explore the ridiculousness of this and, and embrace maybe how far we've come since then as, you know, as, as, as a nation. But um, Well, the other big one, dude, is the Pogues fairy tale in New York. And now people are saying that the word faggot yeah. is problematic. And, yeah. of course, if you go up to someone who's a homosexual and call them a faggot, mm. that is offensive and horrible. Yeah. But in the context of that song, it's meant to reflect the characters, who they are, the language that they would use, because these are street people. These mm. are, you know, for lack of a better word, morally void. Yeah. And that's the whole point. And if we look at language, you know, we, if we're looking at Othello and the racism within that yeah. text, it's a book about racism. Yeah. So, of course, there should be words that are offensive. Yeah. And I just don't, th I, I am really anti this idea of blocking stuff, deleting stuff, removing stuff, yeah. boycotting stuff because they don't sit with the values of today. Yeah. I'm really anti that. I think that art should, be, well, it's freedom of speech, yeah. isn't it? That's the issue that's raised. It, and it is, and it is. And, you know, I'm sitting here with, with Morrissey's lyrics written across me, you know, in, in, you know, tattooed across my body. Which, yeah. which ones have you got? Um, oh, he's getting it out now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. There is a light that never goes out. And however, I've had to distance the music from the man because he said some this is a guy that I absolutely worshipped for years and years and years and he's saying some dumb shit now and it's like okay I've got a I, I can't not listen to the Smiths because I love the Smiths and the Smiths are a collective of artists and and I still enjoy Morris's music but 
I don't subscribe to the stuff he's saying anymore. And I, I, I think, but nor should you have to. Yeah. I don't think. And these are people that aren't perfect. Mm. And the more we evaluate artists on a personal level i mean i know once you become a performer of any kind you're almost making a deal with the devil and mm -hmm. you're basically saying i'm now public property yeah. anything i say or do is public domain mm -hmm. and that's a real shame because it shouldn't be that all i want to know is what art this artist puts out and i want to value the art in and of itself sure but you know i guess that a lot of people can't do that and yeah. i, I yeah, I understand why. It's a very complicated time we're living in at the yeah. moment, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And if you, I mean, Michael Jackson, if he is guilty of what he's said to be guilty of, then he's a straight up pedophile. Mm. But here's the difference, right? The age of consent in America is 18, I believe. The age of consent in England is 16. So if you sleep with a 16 year old in America, are you then a pedophile because you've slept with America? Because yeah. these are. These are laws and the age of consent is different and consent is the key word. And if we are to remove any artist that has had sex with a minor, then goodbye. The Beatles, The Stones, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Aerosmith, Gunter. The list goes on and yeah. on. And I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying that it's right. But the list is long. And every artist throughout the ages yeah. has undoubtedly slept with somebody who is under the age of legal consent in the country that they're in. Yeah. But are they doing that in a way that is grooming and that is uh, a bastardization of innocence in an evil, fucking sick way like what Michael Jackson is being yeah. accused of? Because there is a big difference for me yeah. between sleeping with a teenager who wants to sleep with you and grooming young children yeah. and making them do perverse and sinister, depraved, disgusting stuff. There's a huge difference there. But yeah. then there's a lot of gray area, isn't there? Right. It's fucked. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be a famous person in today's world, would you? And that, for me, is also a lot of the reason why I think danger in, da <coughs> excuse me, danger in music is dying out because yeah. people are probably afraid to do anything now. And the same thing with the live show. You can't, right. you can't really do anything off the cuff now yeah. on stage without it being documented yeah. and sent around the world. Josh Homme from Queen of the Stone Age kicks a photographer's camera. It allegedly hits her in the head and she has to spend all night in A&E getting stitches. I doubt it. I doubt that's what happened, right? And I'm not saying that you should go on stage and kick people in the face, but if you imagine how many people would have been spat on, hit, kicked at punk shows back in the day, and that would have almost been like a badge of honor then because it was just chaotic. Yeah. I mean, this idea of gigs should be a safe space. And again, I speak as a man, so... I don't mean to sound ignorant to uh, you know the female experience of perhaps being at a show and being groped, but that's a different thing. But for me, a gig should not be a safe space. I want to go to a rock and roll show and I want to feel danger. I want to feel danger in the air. I want to be at, at like at unease. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you mentioned, like the, the Smashing Pumpkin show you were yeah. talking about earlier on. Did you feel a slight sense of fuck? Anything could go off here. No. No. <laughs> no. All right. I just thought it was. <laughs> I just thought it was incredible. Just sonically, uh, uh, I think if it would have got more... But you must have seen some shows back in the day. Of course. And of they course. must have been some of your favourite gig memories, yeah, right? Yeah, because absolutely. of the anarchic, chaotic nature of them. Completely, completely. Um, yeah. Nobody I, I, should be manhandled or disrespected, but, you know, there should be... I want some danger back in rock and yeah. roll, basically. And, you know, Josh Hom has received so much criticism yeah. for just that one spur of the moment mistake yeah. because of iPhones and that's the thing now is performers on stage are so afraid to do or say anything that yeah. might then go viral and ruin their career yeah. so then nobody's outspoken anymore <laughs>
It's over, man. Oh, don't say that. But what do you think, Michael Jackson? Guilty, not guilty? I think guilty, mate. It has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a real fucking shame because he's one of the best pop stars of all time, but that music has been irrevocably tainted now, hasn't it? Yeah, man. And you can't say that there's no fucking smoke without fire there. No. <laughs> or can you? How does the phrase apply to that? No, man. No. He's guilty. <laughs> Allegedly. Let's talk about also. clubbing. Let's move on. Yeah. Clubbing. Right. Clubbing. So you've... Uh, you, I have you, a confession you, to make in a moment. You, your tastes have changed. Um, they've, they've grown. And, and I can see that there's a, a natural progression with this from, from no effects um, to, to where, the, the, you know, the, the hybrid of bands that are involved in, in your choice. Um, so for track five, it's the song that soundtrack your time clubbing. Yes. And my confession is this. I've never been to a rave in my life. Okay. I don't know whether that upsets you or surprises you, no. but never ever. Uh, I've never really been out clubbing in that definition of the word either. Um, my clubs and my clubland experiences were very much centered around guitar music and rock and roll. Uh, again, 80% of the guests uh, oh, really? are the same. Oh, cool. Yeah, indie clubs, rock and roll clubs. There you go. All right, yeah. So it does count. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Clubs are clubs. It's man. not like fucking house music, <laughs> no, ecstasy. No, 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 oh, no, good, no, good, good. So for me, uh, there was a venue in Birmingham called the Carling Academy, um, which was very much the hub of all my youthful experiences. Was and this my the Institute? No, the Institute's in Digbeth, and then there's the O2 Academy now, which is in Birmingham, but then there was another one. I think Dale End is the road, and it's the old academy. It's now just shut, and there's nothing going on there, sadly. But it's a beautiful room. It stunk a piss, um, but it was you know, it was one of those venues that just had history seeping off the walls, and I'd I, see I'll everybody. I'll be going to work in one of them this evening. Don't <laughs> really? <worry>. Yeah. <laughs> and who did I see in there? Everybody from System of a Down to Weezer. Like, all my early gigs were in there. And on Fridays and Saturdays, they would have a club night there called Ramshackles. Mm -hmm. um, and I've now since become good friends with the guys who started that. Steve Webb, Andy Hinton, dear friends of mine to this day. And I think, I don't want to be misquoting anything here, but I'm just going to go on record and say that I think that was the seed for what then became Propaganda. Yeah. Which is now obviously the biggest rock club night or yep. indie club night in the UK. Hopefully going to get Dan on here soon. Oh, cool. Hmm. I'm sure he'll have some stories. I'm sure he will. <laughs> and that was where I would go when I was 16. Obviously, the age of entrance was 18, but these were the days when you didn't need photo ID to yep. go clubbing. And so me and my friends would go every Friday. We'd go out with a tenner. Pints would be like a pound or one pound 15. Yep. You could go out of a few pints, get a taxi home and still have change. The golden days. And it was that golden, golden era for guitar music where you'd have bands just blowing up into the big big leagues like queens of the stone age and foo fighters and chili peppers you'd also have the white stripes the strokes the hives you'd have the streets prodigy obviously still in full effect there'd be all the pop punk stuff like sum 41 blink 182 there'd be new metal like lincoln park limp biscuit it was just a beautiful time probably the last great time for guitar music and the exact right time to be a teenager and i could have picked any one of those songs from no one knows by queen of the stone age almost got picked there's so many anthems from that era that i just remember setting off the dance floor every time they were played but this one for me was the one because this is just like a my, as close as i would get to like a rude boy rave tune uh, and it has the connection with Tim Armstrong which is why it really resonated with me but I never heard anything like this when it came out it was the debut album by the Transplant self-titled Travis Parker from, uh, Travis Barker sorry from Blink-182 on drums a guy called Skinhead Rob who was doing the rapping and then Tim Armstrong lending his unique Joe Strummer inspired slurry punk vocal delivery and the song Diamonds and Guns just takes me back when I close my eyes and 
and picture that time. It takes me right back to then. I can almost smell the flat carling. And it was a beautiful tune, and it really fucking ramped up the dance floor whenever it's it got played. Tune, it's so, and it so rarely gets played ever. Yeah. You never hear it out anywhere now. And the production on that whole album, that first one, is so good and such a mishmash of punk and hardcore and hip hop. See, I never got rancid. And, really? And, and all of my mates, like Scrooge and people like that, that was a big thing for them, rancid. And, and I've since quite enjoyed, through a guest, um, Marcus Bergman introduced me to. Time Bomb Tim, I believe it's called now, yeah, the man. solo stuff he yeah, does, yeah, and, some, yeah, yeah. and lots of covers of the 60s girl groups and stuff like that. And uh, all that early reggae and yeah, ska. Yeah. yeah, and so I've been really enjoying that, but the, the, the Rancy thing just didn't do it for me. Um, I, I think the time it come out, I think when Time Bomb come out, uh, that, that was... Uh, I got it, but the rest of it, I weren't into that at the time. And as much as I was playing it in the clubs... It just didn't cut it for me. And, and, and again, I was... Blink... You can't not like Blink-182's hits because they're tailor-made for dance floors. They're absolute pop-punk gold, right? And, but when I heard Diamonds and Guns... It's dangerous, isn't it? I was like, it sounds this, dangerous. this has kind of got lots of things I like about music in one thing here. And... And unfortunately, it, it, the response it got on the dance floor, Dan Saf. Rowdy shit, was it? No, no? It, it didn't get the sort of response that Blink or Rancid got. Yeah. And, and I was always stunned at it, and I still play it now, and, and it still doesn't go crazy. And I never understood it because I thought, you like Rancid, you go mad to Blink, you go back to Rancid. Why, why is this not getting that response? Because for me, I think it's both of them, and it's got something more, whether it's Skinhead Rob doing the, the rap thing, I just thought it was the perfect alternative dance floor anthem, which in, obviously in Birmingham it was. Do you know what I think the reason for that is? Is because it doesn't really, and not to generalise, but I'm going to anyway, it doesn't really apply or appeal, sorry, to women. It's a bit tough, it's a bit macho, it's a yeah. bit aggressive. Um, Green Day, Rancid, even Rancid less so, but certainly Green Day, Blink-182, girls can sing along to, right? Big and a dance floor is basically about getting the girls dancing and then the guys follow, yeah. right? That's the key to success. Yep. You get the girls on the floor, the guys will follow, you've got yourself a party. And I think with that song, it's just a bit of a bravado, macho, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Peacocky kind of. Yeah. Well, not peacocky, that's the wrong word, but it's, it's just a bit aggro, and that's why I like it. Well, well whilst we're talking about clubs in Birmingham, let's, let's for track six, let's, uh, let's stay at home. Let's and stay I at home, you, I ask you to uh, pick a track from a favourite artist from your hometown. I did. I thought it said country originally, because you wrote county. You won't be the first. You won't be the first. <laughs> well, that's a broad church to choose from. <laughs> um, I was torn between two bands for this one, because I grew up, as I mentioned, in a little village called Dorridge, which is just outside Birmingham, but also very close to Coventry and Warwickshire. Yeah. And so I went out in Birmingham a lot as a kid, shopping, first of all, for clothes and CDs and things like that. And then as I got older, gigs. And then as I got older, pubs and clubs. So Birmingham was very much my home, but then also I went to college in Stratford, so I spent a lot of time out more towards Coventry and Warwickshire. So the two bands that I had at the top of the list for this was The Specials and Black Sabbath. And I thought, well, I've kind of covered the punk scar side of things with yeah. no effects, with transplants, with New York Dolls. So I'll doff the cap to The Specials, who I yeah. adore and think are one of the greatest fucking British bands of all time. Um, I'll put them to one side and, and champion Black Sabbath and yeah. mix, mix up the music because for me, 
as a Brummie and working in the industry that I do, which is more centered around rock and in some cases metal, I feel such hometown pride for this. But it's also worth pointing out that both those bands created genres two-tone and heavy metal. There's not many bands that can say they invented a genre. Mm -hmm. Black Sabbath and the Specials both can. So fucking the Midlands just deserve some props for that. So uh, the, the, the Specials, obviously, you know, two-tone is, is something that, you know, props to, to, uh, to oh God, just Jerry uh, Dammers. Jerry God. Dammers, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts being a, 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 a Birmingham lad um, on the first UB40 album? It's great. It's great. It's, you know, it's about austerity mm. and unemployment. And it has all the things that you would want two-tone and punk to have, which is a working-class self-awareness and, you know, a, a philosophy that's very much in line with that thinking. They obviously then became a very different band. Yeah. And there's a few bands in history that have done that, haven't they? They start out as one thing yeah. and then become... Fleetwood Mac is a great example. Start out as this 12-bar yeah. heavy blues yep. band and then become you know, this 70s soft rock phenomenon. Yeah. Both eras I adore. UB40, I'm not into the latter era at all. Likewise. And they're one of the rowdiest crowds I've ever yeah. seen. I used to DJ a lot of the Brooklyn Bowl in the O2. That's now a venue that's gone. O2 obviously still very much there. And there'd be certain crowds from certain gigs that I'd have to contend with on the tube on the way in. And the worst two I ever saw was UB40 and the Libertines. Yeah. Just the level of hooliganism yeah. that you see at those shows. Because UB40 are very much now a football chant. No offense, you know, I'm not disrespecting football fans, yeah. but it, do you know what I mean? It attracts that certain yeah. demographic of the, hooligans that are out to get pissed and have a fight. The reason but early I, on, they were very politically completely. aware. And, and the reason I said that was I, I watched a documentary on them uh, on the iPlayer and it was absolutely fascinating. Um, and they said when they first went out on tour, they were getting put on shows with specials, The Beat, Madness, and, and they were being thrown well, in. Well, that rock against racism thing, kind of scene as well. Even though yeah. they were fundamentally a reggae band. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And it said, you know, we, we didn't have the pace that these yeah. bands had. So, you know, a lot of the time we wouldn't go down very well. And uh, You can only imagine the sort of reactions that they would get as yeah, well and yeah. how those reactions would be expressed. Yeah. A lot of spit, yeah. I imagine, a lot of heckling. And, uh, you know, and a lot of them shows, I imagine there probably was initially quite a lot of right-wing people at, at, yep. at them, them scar shows, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, you For know, the purpose of picking fights. Yeah, yeah, everybody kind of, all the artists, in, you know, in that in that scene spoke out against that and you know madness being you know one of those you know the amount of right-wing people that were attending them early madness shows and it was like look fuck you man this is sham 69 had a lot of that yeah. as well didn't they yeah. uh, and you can only imagine how broken-hearted you'd be if you're a true left-wing liberal at heart and then you're somehow attracting yeah. the total opposite side of the fan yeah. that you want yeah you'd be fucking gutted wouldn't yeah. you yeah absolutely absolutely but back to black sabbath my choice right yes. so First of all, just as a Brummie, whenever I'm at the world's big events, be it Download or Hellfest in France, whatever, and Black Sabbath, the headlining, there's a real sense of hometown pride that I get. And having read Ozzy's book, having read Tony's book, when they're talking about their upbringing, these areas that I know inside and out, these characters that I know inside and out, the sense of humor that these guys have, which is so distinctly Brummie, just 
it warms my heart because I'm like, I know these people, although I don't. I've met both of them a couple of times. I'll tell you a funny Aussie story in a moment as well. But Antonio Iommi used to come into the pub that I used to work at, so I'd see him all the time. It would be him, Andy Gray, Jasper Carra, Andy Townsend, this kind of contingency of Midlands either dwelling or people who are from there uh, just hanging out and having beers together down the country pubs. And I just have always... Obviously, they're the kind of benchmark for heavy metal, but me, it's more just the hometown pride that I get whenever I'm at these you know, big festivals and they're there headlining because I know what they've come from. Total working class backgrounds. And they've often said the reason heavy metal was born with Judas Priest and Sabbath and these bands is because there was basically heavy metal in the air yeah, and they were breathing it and they're growing up in this industrial shithole that was Birmingham back then. The same thing, I guess, with Liverpool and the Beatles and the whole Mersey beat thing is often when there's fuck all going on Manchester as well with the whole Hacienda scene. Yeah. When there's nothing going on in your hometown, you've got to make something happen. Yeah. And obviously there's great bands to come from London, but London's always been spoiled, hasn't it? So it's often for me the the towns that are outside of London that create some of the best moments in time for music because they've actually just got to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, Aussie, right? So there's a couple of Aussie stories. I'll just tell you one of my favorites. So Lemmy, he's also a Midland boy from Kidderminster. He wrote the lyrics to the big Aussie tune, Mama, I'm Coming Home. Mm -hmm. And Aussie said he went round Lemmy's house and he's like, oh, all right, Lemmy, I've got the music with this song, man. Like, you know, just, oh, I'm struggling with the lyrics, man. He's like, you reckon you could you know, help us out? So I le and he's, tell he's telling me all this in an interview. And he's like, so I left him alone for an afternoon, you know. And I, I get a call a couple of hours later and he's like, I've got two versions of the song for yours. I was like, two versions of the song in an afternoon? <laughs> he's like, with me, that would have taken a month, longer than a month. <laughs> and I'm just the fucking guy is the fuck without wanting to be or well maybe yeah. he tries a little and he's aware but he is the funniest funniest dude yeah, absolutely and i was absolutely devastated with how shit the actor was in the dirt film have you seen the dirt yeah. film the guy playing ozzy i've got a mate who calls him ozzy osborne spelled a-u-s-s-i-e because he's talking with a fucking australian yeah. accent all right mate all right the motley you're like what the fuck is going on here like he, he completely got that yeah absolutely wrong um, I love Aussie, and I had to pick Black Sabbath War Pigs for that reason. Their, I guess, only really political song about the yep. Vietnam War. Um, sonically, lyrically, musically, um, just the whole package. I think it's a monster of a song. I heard Faith No More do that before I heard oh, the original. Really? Mm. They do some of the best covers ever, don't they, Faith No More? Mate, absolutely amazing. But yeah, I've got to always you know, give uh, nothing but true respect He's a to the hometown heroes of right. Black Sabbath. He's the greatest. Wherever I go in America, whenever I'm over there and they ask, oh, you're from England, where are you from? And I say Birmingham without a doubt every time. Ah, oh, that's where Ozzy's from, huh? Yeah. Like every time. He's just put Birmingham on the map. And thank God for Peaky Blinders because now we have something else yeah, that's completely. made Birmingham cool because we've been dining out on Black Sabbath for 50 <laughs> years, honestly. And even Duran Duran, obviously, are from Birmingham but have never made any reference to that fact, yeah. I don't think, because it's not really in line with their brand. But for so so, so long, all we had was Black Sabbath, and now finally we've got Peaky Blinders putting Birmingham on the map again, but Perfect. big up, Sabbath. Final track, Matt, um, is track seven, which is a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. So this is you, DJ Mode again, 
Um, and you get to show off and tell people what they should be listening to. Yeah, well, I was wondering with this one how niche I go. And I thought, well, I don't want to... boots with this one. I don't want to go full-on pretentious, you know, some 19-minute-long avant-garde. Yeah. And I didn't know really how, how hip your audience were to the artists that I've picked. But uh, I've gone with Frank Zappa, yeah. who I'm sure is a name that everybody knows. And this song, I don't really know too much about the song. Um, it's fucking hilarious, I know that. But I was in a bar not too far from here, actually. I can't remember the name of it, but you're sort of typical East London trendy pub. And this song was playing, and it was like, Catholic girls, and I was like, what on earth is this? You know, sometimes you just hear a song, and your ears just prick up. Yeah. And you just, I don't know what it is, but there's just something about the sound that speaks to you. And yeah. there's such a bounce and a offbeat chaotic quality to this tune and then the lyrics are just fucking devastatingly yeah. hilarious um frank zappa catholic girls is the song that i've gone with and if people don't know it please do source it and check it out and you'll be rolling on the floor because it is wild isn't it it's unhinged and hilarious and absolutely brilliant yeah yeah just quintessential zappa it will be on the you uh, knew it before i presume right of course yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it will be on a spotify playlist um well look Matt, we've we, we've we've done this podcast. We've we, we've come to the end, and we've not even mentioned um, what we've got coming up. Yes, mate. So save the best for last. Um, we are working together um, with uh, my other podcast um, partner in crime, Chris. On How is Chris, him. by the way? He's radiant and glowing, mate. I spoke Lovely. to him this morning. Uh, so Chris is all good. So the Hardcore Listening podcast and your podcast, and we've also got uh, some podcast raw ears well haven't we we do indeed so for me the idea behind this was a wanting to work with you and chris again because mm -hmm. i had such a good time doing your live event mm -hmm. and i thought we've got to get on stage together and do something ourselves and about two months ago i had the great joy of meeting for the first time thomas turgus and also andy ellis who people will know i think most predominantly as uh, tomo well not tomo sorry his name is sure. tomo sean yeah. and gadget from this is england but they've also recently launched their own podcast which i've been enjoying uh, they've had some great guests on there and like yours theirs is themed with a specific trajectory um, and the idea behind theirs is that the guests come on and talk about a subject which they feel is overrated and the podcast is called overrated everything which you should check out if you haven't already uh, and they're just lovely boys aren't they i know you've had andy on your show and we, you we know those guys to manchester to, to interview andy and he done his um top five shit dinners that he really likes <laughs> like just, that just is such generally an like Ellis what topic. can you throw in a sandwich or what kind of cereal <laughs> can you have if you've not got time and you just want to eat uh it was a lot of fun and he was he was a cracking lad and and we're hopefully um thanks to you gonna um meet up with those boys at some point soon and and record with them and, and yeah. do each other's podcasts. But yeah, the idea is basically the three podcasts. So it'll be Life in the Stocks, my podcast, then Hardcore Listening, you and Chris, and then Overrated Everything, Andy and Tom. And each podcast will have a special guest and we will sit down and in my case, interview. In your case, I guess, interview and talk about top five, whatever they choose. And then with Overrated Everything, talk about their guests' overrated topic. And we'll just do it in front of a live crowd. Each one around about an hour, short intervals in between take some time at the end to meet everybody do pictures signings all of that um, it's going to be the O2 Islington Academy 
here in London on a Saturday uh, from 3 p.m. I wanted to have an afternoon matinee feel as well, like yours, like because it's just a great way to start your weekend, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then obviously people that can then go on after the event is finished and still have a full night out. So doors will be We're at three. Have a full night out, right? We are. Well, I was looking at maybe doing some kind of like official after party afterwards. We that should. We should get on that. I was hoping it would actually fall on the last Saturday. There's a month. lot of DJs. So we, there is. We're all DJs. Aren't and we? and DJ as We're all well, DJs. So there's five DJs. So we could absolutely make that happen. Um, and yeah, 3 till 9 p.m. will roughly be the time frame we're working with. Tickets are £20, uh, which, you know, for six hours of entertainment is a bargain, I think. And people can get those tickets now uh, via www.ticketmaster.co.uk. But the event is called Attack of the Podcasts. Um, and the poster I'm quite proud of. It's got it's a nice, nice. B-movie feel to it. Lately. And I'd like to do a few more of them as the months go on, you know. So Attack of the Podcast 2 and 3 and so on. Can I do a cheeky plug? That'd be really cheeky. Can. So Dom Jolly, I know, has been a guest on this show. He has. And I'm also One doing... of our most listened to guests as well. Was it really? And it was recorded in this very room, and he was an absolute delight. He's great, isn't he? Yeah. And what many people might not realise, a music obsessive. Absolutely. And obviously Trigger Happy was, um, you know, I think the whole feel of that show was very determined by the soundtrack and the music that he chose in Absolutely. specific scenes. Well, that was, that's good then. So if he's popular with your audience, then they might like to know that I'm also doing a live Q&A with Dom uh, on the 15th of May, Wednesday, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., once again at the O2 Academy in Islington. And tickets for that also on sale now, also £20. And the format of that show will be a 90-minute interview with me and Dom super in-depth we'll talk about his broadcasting career the books that he's written from scary monsters super creeps where he goes around the world trying to chase down these famous mythological beasts like bigfoot uh, we'll also be talking about his new book the hezbollah hiking club where he walks around his home country of lebanon and details that travel uh, we'll be getting into everything playing clips telling the stories behind the scenes of trigger happy and world shut your mouth and then we'll take a short interval that'll be followed by a 45 minute audience q a where the crowd can ask him anything they want and then a nice little informal meet and greet photo signing session at the end so everybody who comes and buys a ticket can have a picture with dom get stuff signed and all of that so yeah that's wednesday may 15th at the o2 islington academy and tickets are on sale now i will be there with bells on you coming down of course you didn't need to buy a ticket mate you're on the list lovely matt stocks thanks loads buddy it's been a great joy catching up mate and um we're gonna hopefully um, announce your guests in the not too distant future as well, right? For Don't worry the podcast. yourself about that, mate. Yeah? We've got something good lined up. I can't wait to hear who you've We've got. We've got something very good lined up. Thanks so much for having me on the show, dude. Really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure, Matt. There you go. What a lovely man. Matt Stocks, thank you very much for taking the time to head down to the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen to record that episode. If you enjoyed hearing Matt podcasting and you enjoyed hearing me podcasting, then let me remind you of something. Saturday the 20th of July 2019 at the O2 Academy Islington. 3pm doors open for Attack of the Podcast. It's a triple feature. First up, Matt Stocks. Life in the Stocks, live on stage with a very special guest. Quickly followed by Chris and myself doing Hardcore Listing Live with two very special guests. Topping the bill is Thomas Turgoose and Andy Ellis, otherwise known as Sean and Gadge from This Is England with their overrated Everything podcast. And they too will have a special guest. What more could you want on an afternoon in July in Islington? There's nothing better to do. Head over to ticketmaster.co.uk. Get your tickets now. Thanks ever so much for listening. Remember, 
if you like this and you want to hear more or you want to get an art print of this or you want to get a t-shirt or you want to just go and look at the socials, there's a one-stop shop. www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com See you next time. Bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. 